So John, it was probably, I want to say, about four years ago when my pastor, we, my wife and I had gone to a church for about 11 years, and my pastor came to my wife and I and said, hey, there's nothing here for your son. You're just getting ready to go into junior high. We bless you. We want you to go to a church that's going to feed him, and we bless you. And so for about a year and a half, my wife and I looked for a church to kind of get plugged into. The church we went to was great. It fed my wife. She felt really good about where we were, but we knew the season had come. And we looked and we looked and we looked. And about the time I finally despaired of finding a place where I would really truly feel at home, because there were some things there that I didn't really feel fed and didn't really feel like a real part of a strong community. Right at that time, I found a small church here in Colorado Springs that we're sitting in the auditorium right now called Pulse. And all it took was me binge listening to about 11 sermons from our guest, Justin Knapp, to really understand that this young man, 29 now, is an up-and-coming rock star. And he really understands the whole business, ministry, balancing, being successful in both. Yeah, and that's so important to find that place that you're home and you're fed. And Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Huge opportunity. Thank you so much. You know, one of the first podcasts that we ever did was see Peter Wagner. Yeah. Oh my gosh, awesome. this was four years ago. And I remember I asked him a question, Justin. And here was the question. I said, how many pastors, you know, the churches that we're all going to, understand kind of the world of business and what people need that are business in business, business owners, entrepreneurs, and what they need from spiritual development in that world? He goes, man, he goes, I really wish you hadn't asked me that question. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was, because uh, at Fuller Seminary, he was in charge of right, church, church growth. growth. And church growth, right? And, and that's what he was known for, really, was church growth. That's what he's known for. He goes, uh, he goes, I bet it's less than 5%. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, it's been hard for even me to really find a church where I felt it's not just a... Honored. Yeah, like a great teaching and service on a Sunday, yeah. but like but, I'm being equipped but also, to be launched to go out and actually do what God's called me to do Monday through Friday and Saturday. Yeah, honored and blessed in, in what we do during the week. Yeah. And even sometimes on weekends because stuff happens and we got to get it done. Yeah, we got to get it done. And so guys, here's what you guys are going to hear, a story of uh, Justin, who's not only God has called him to be a pastor, but he's also called him to be an entrepreneur. And you're running on two parallel tracks that are completely interwoven of developing from scratch a very successful business, yeah. but also planting and growing a church. So uh, guys out there listening, I think that you guys are going to be really impacted by uh, what you're going to hear today. But Justin, I'd love for you to start and share with me yeah. some of the things we were talking yeah. about beforehand and kind yeah. of your, your story and your journey and what you're all about. Yeah, so I'll try to kind of capsulize uh, before ministry stuff and then kind of see how we can kind of get this going. But uh, did not grow up in any way in a Christian household or whatever. My family is is much more wild. My testimony was very similar to Stephen's. I was getting stoned and uh, just had this radical encounter with the Lord. And it was a strange thing because, again, my family is not very spiritual. So, you know, I just was different. You know, where, I didn't, where were you when that happened? I was in Dallas, Texas. So I'm actually from Mesquite, Texas, but I grew up right, right around Dallas my whole life. And, um, you know, it was just weird. All of a sudden, I didn't want to fight anymore, and I didn't really understand what that, why that was happening. I think I felt I had a conscience for the first time in my entire life, you know. And, uh, you mean fight, like physically fight? Yeah, yeah, I still do. I still love MMA, still love—I've always been a, kind of a ballistic, you know, like, I love action. I like intensity, all that stuff. And so when you're young, that usually means, like, contact sports or something crazy. And so that was kind of the kid that I was, you know, and— um, I always felt like I was really favored from the Lord. You know, we were really poor. My dad was in prison my whole life. Um, just lots of different stuff like that, you know. But I have this encounter with Jesus. And, you know, in that encounter, it was magical. It was something that was an incredible to me, incredibly impactful, changed my life. But, you know, all that it really was was the Lord just asked me what I was doing. And that was it. Just, yeah, what are you doing? Something simple like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like, so simple. But I've heard you describe it numerous yeah. times. But it wasn't like, what are you doing? It yeah. was like... What are you doing? Yeah, I tell people I have a 14-year-old son that I've taken care of since he was three. And when he was little, he was just fun. He's a very creative kid. He's super confident. And, you know, if he would have run into my kitchen with his underwear on his head in a, running around in a circle saying, I'm a pretty, pretty princess, I would have been like, what are you doing? You know, and that's that's really what it felt like. It felt like the Holy Spirit just said, like, what are you doing? Why are you running around like crazy? And 
And the thing did, was, did you happen uh, to have underwear on your head? Just I did curious. not. Okay. No, I, I you were stoned know. though. I was stoned, so who knows? <laughs> but I don't think so. I don't think that that's what was going on. Definitely had some Cheetos somewhere, but other than that, <laughs> that's all that was going on. And you know, and what that did was it instilled something in me that there was something else. If this seemed silly, what I was doing, that meant that there was an alternate plan. And the rest of my life has really been just kind of figuring out what that is. And so I tell Steve, I tell a lot of people, I've kind of fallen into everything I've done. I get really weird around very ambitious spiritual things, churches that are very ambitious, freaks me out. I don't get that concept of things. Uh, in business, I'm still really big on helping people and stuff. So while there is an, a um, somewhat of an ambitious you know, intensity there, it's also very much like I really truly feel that I've been put on this planet to help people. And that's not always just a handshake and a hug. Sometimes that is some very practical uh, things or saying something when somebody else won't say it or that kind of stuff. And so that's really kind of been my ministry. You know, I was working at a grocery store, you know, where I'm from, football season's over, you get a job, you know, and I was working at this grocery store and having this encounter with the Lord, having this time where I felt the Lord was like calling me closer to him, but I have no reference point for what that is. And, you know, I was at work and thank God for people that actually believe that the Lord can use them in their jobs, you know what I mean? And um, my whole early time, again, I don't have a spiritual connection in my family. And because we were so rough around the edges, the church that I did go to or tried to go to, it wasn't like I was just like, you know, I'm bringing all my friends from the party before on Sunday morning and their cell phones are going off. I just didn't fit. I was loud. I didn't, I mean, I just didn't really work there. But in school, you know, I had teachers that came up and said amazing things to me. I had people that I worked with that just prophesied over me and told me that there was a destiny, that I had something special, coaches, I mean, that would just randomly throughout the years come up and, and minister to me, you know, and I'm so thankful for that. I believe in that so much. So I'm at work. This guy comes walking up to me and he can tell that I'm just messed up. You know, I'm, I have so much in my mind. And he said, what's going on? And I was like, man, I just feel like there's this call on my life. Like there's this like, thing and I don't know what it is but I just feel like I'm being pulled into something I have no and he said well you know I think so too but I think you need some training and when he said that I started hysterically laughing because again I don't come from church people so like when he said there's this training ground for people to find out what God I thought he was messing with I thought it was like a Jedi school for (laughs) Christian people and I just start (laughs) laughing hysterically because that seemed so ridiculous to me at the time that there would be a school where people just learned about God or whatever you know you must have wanted to learn how to use the force hey come on man man. I mean if it works you know (laughs) and so he tells me about this school to me it's a joke you know I'm taking care of my mom my little brother I'm not going to college unless it's for football. You know what I mean? Like, there's no well, way I'm moving. But you, but you also really didn't even think you were even going to go to college yeah, because of all know. the statistics yeah. that your teachers and counselors would constantly remind yeah, you about, man. about, yeah. you know, a kid with a dad in prison mm-hmm. ends up being a nothing, a nobody. Yeah. And, and my brother to society. My brother has, you know, um, somewhat significant learning disabilities and, you know, dyslexia, really, really high, high, intense, like ADHD So everybody in school kind of just thought that I did too, because I got in trouble all the time, but I actually didn't. I always got really high marks on all my tests and all those things, but I always did have a very, very difficult time with go and do this and then not tell me why. And then I never was good with that. I never understood if it was better for me than at least explain it to me. And so, you know, I had a lot of teachers tell me that based on the statistics of where I grew up, I wasn't going to go to college. I I wasn't probably going to be successful. I needed to learn a trade, which I mean, most of my family are tradesmen. I I think you can make a great living doing that. But I knew that the way they were saying it to me was much more, you need to learn to settle. And, you know, I think for a lot of folks that probably does, and it definitely did scare me. And, but my reaction was, well, I just have to prove you wrong. I don't know how, I don't have anything to show that I can do that. But that's kind of my action towards a lot yep. of things. So I'm working at this place. Guy tells me about the Jedi Preacher Academy. Uh, <laughs> he gives me this website. So I go and I check it out. And um, there, sure enough, was this college in Colorado Springs, uh, Karis Bible College. And to me, it was still, there was no way. I mean, there was absolutely no way that I'm going to this school and everything. And um, so every night I would just, I mean, my car was so bad. I had a Chevy Cavalier that whenever you would put it in gear, it'd make this noise like somebody hit the engine with a sledgehammer. All four tires were different. It was solid black, and in Texas, you couldn't turn the AC on or the engine would start smoking, and it was just, it was bad, you know? And so I didn't have a car that would even make it to Colorado. 
Uh, it was 2008, so there was a hiring freeze with the grocery store I worked at. They told me, you're not going to get hired here. Figure something else out. On top of that, I didn't have any money, so there's no way I was going to be able to pay for school. Just all these different things. And uh, so I just started praying every night. I would just lay in bed. Couldn't talk to my mom. Couldn't talk to my brother. Couldn't talk to my friends because they all would have thought I was crazy. What do you mean you're going somewhere? My mom would have had a panic attack. Like, you're paying half the bills. What do you mean you're going to college? You know, and so I would just pray every night, and I would say, you know, God, is this is really what you want me to do. How am I going to get there? How am I going to pay for it? You know, how am I going to go? And I just prayed the same prayer every night. And uh, I'm still in high school at the time. It's my senior year. So I'm walking into my Spanish class, and Miss David, God bless her soul. I hope she listens to this podcast. I've reached back out to her about a million times and just said thank you to her. But she stopped me as I was walking into class, and she said, hey, I, I need to talk to you. And I knew I wasn't in trouble or anything. This is a public school? Public school. Mm-hmm. hope I don't get in trouble for this, but this you is won't. 10 years ago, so she's fine. <laughs> uh, so she gets everybody else in class, and then she comes out, and she walks up and says, hey, I always have really weird dreams, like monkeys hanging from the ceiling at the mall. So I just disregard dreams. But for the past four nights, I've had the same dream, and it's been about you. And I was like, okay. And she said, in the dream, I was standing in a corner, and I was saying, God, how am I going to get there? How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to go? And she said, in the dream, she was screaming, just go, and everything will be okay. Just go, and everything will be okay. So that, obviously, my jaw hit the I hadn't told anybody. And she said, word for word, everything I'd been saying in my prayer time. And so I just told her, like, yeah, I'm thinking about going somewhere. And after that, I just started Dude, that walk- just totally gave me, like, the chill bones. <laughs> Dude, yeah, man. It I love me. how God works in our lives. Yeah. Man. Isn't that awesome? It was amazing, man. And so I just started going around and telling everybody, I'm going to Cheris Bible College. And call- <laughs> I didn't even know how to say the name of the school, you know, and didn't know anything about it whatsoever. I just knew this is where I was supposed to come. And, you know, summer's going on. It's getting time. I need to be having something happen where I can move to Colorado, you know, and... I had an aunt call me and she said, why don't we go, we'll take out a loan, I'll co-sign with you, it'll get you through, you know, first part of school, maybe we can buy you a car with that loan money or whatever. And so I go up to Oklahoma City where my aunt's at, and uh, my aunt, I'm her favorite. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it, I'm her favorite nephew, she loves me more than everybody else, it's just the facts. And uh, my uncle is the exact opposite of that. (laughs) So like, all the love and appreciation that my aunt has, my uncle has zero of that for me. Uh, He was a police officer for a lot of years, and I was also the opposite of a police officer for a lot of years. And so we just didn't mesh very well. And all of a sudden, the bad kid decides he wants to be a preacher. So this did not add up to him. You know what I mean? And uh, He's probably, his mind's going, what is the scam here, right? And and you could feel that fuming off of him, you know. (laughs) And so I go up there, and after the first night, my aunt comes up to me, white as a ghost. I mean, and... She said, your uncle woke up last night, and he said that we are going to pay for you to go to school, all of it, and we're going to buy you a car. And so my uncle was taking me to car lots and just saying, pick any car you want. You can just grab one. And what prompted that? He woke up in the middle of the night and felt like the Holy Spirit told him that he was supposed to pay for me to go to school and that he was supposed to buy me a car. So uh, they did, and so that was ridiculous. Well, right after that, I get a phone call from the grocery store that I worked at. And they said, man, you're not going to believe this. Are you still coming here? And I said, yeah, I'm moving there like next week. And they said, well, can you start next week? Mean, in said, Colorado Springs? In Colorado Springs. Store you'd reached out to? Yeah, they'd been on a hiring freeze for six months. It was 2008. You know, nobody was getting hired. And they called me about two weeks before I was supposed to come up and said, can you start? So I got a raise to come out here. I was the first person to be hired in like six months or something. Um, and then so I get out here. Um, all that's going pretty well. And then I get a phone call from one of my mom's best friends. And I had this little $400 a month apartment that was not great. Here, here, in, <laughs> here in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And uh, she calls me out of the blue and says, hey, uh, she has a, a big girl job is what I'll say. She does pretty well. And she said, hey, I'm moving houses and I don't want to take any of this furniture with me. Do you want any of it? And I was like, well, how much of it do you want? She's like, you can have everything. So I got $30,000 in designer furniture in this, you know. So that was just go and everything will be okay. So the second that I just said that I was going to go, all that stuff just kind of started happening. Then I get out here, immediately meet my mentor and, you know, said, hey, I really feel like I'm supposed to go to your church. And uh, he was up at the school that I went to, Karis, and I walk up to him after his first time speaking, and I say, hey, man, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit really just, I feel like I'm supposed to go to your church. He said, I don't have a church. So I said, well, I guess I've missed it. I'm sorry, you know, and I just started following him around, like really creepy. Anytime he was at the school, I just walked behind him anywhere he went, and I just knew the Lord was doing something there. 
And then one day he walked up to somebody and said, hey, I just started a church. You should come. And I was like, can I have one of those cards too? So I was there at the first service of his starting his church, planting a new church. Dan Funkhauser, he's my mentor, um, been a church planner pretty much all his life. And so I just knew there was some kind of connection I was supposed to learn from this guy. So I just went up to him and I just said, hey, man, I don't know what all this is going to entail, but I know I'm supposed to work with you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And he took that and used it. So I did everything. I did whatever. I mean, I can't tell you how many pianos and old people I moved in that first two years of trying to be in ministry. And he said from the very beginning, hey, man, I'm going to make this really hard on you. I see the entrepreneur. I see the planter. Because of that, things are going to be an uphill battle for you at times, and you're really going to have to learn to believe uh, for what you want to have happen. So uh, that was kind of the genesis, man. That was kind of the start of me getting into uh, ministry and growing and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind so, of the beginning. So let me ask you a question. This is something Steve and I have talked about personally, just sitting there over a cup of coffee and with other folks, right? There's, uh, you know, back then, right, You God said you knew there was something different. There was something else, right? And a lot of us get really, I think, wrapped up, like, f- trying to figure that out, having this clarity before we kind of move into action. And that's mm-hmm. not what, at all what I'm hearing from you, right? Like, yeah. with z- almost zero clarity about where you're going, why you're even going it, you put things in motion. You took action. Yeah. Um, I would guess there's a lot of people listening right now that feel like, you know, maybe there's something else for them. It could be right in the spot that they're in, the job that they have in their cubicle, but looking at it from a different mindset. Or it could be like some of us who've been entrepreneurs and made a pivot and started something. But what advice do you give to people that are out there? What is that next step I take? How do I actually kind of figure out what it is? Or maybe you don't even need to figure it out, but how do you actually start taking action, moving into something that almost feels totally ambiguous? I think I was listening to Tony Robbins. I'm pretty sure he said this one time. And he said he always gets asked, what was the big moment? What was the moment that changed everything? When did you know you were going to do everything that you're doing now? And he always has the same response. He said, it was a million and a half really small moments. Mm. And so what I would say is if you've had that, ringing in your ear, the thing that just isn't going away, but it seems ridiculous. It seems absolutely crazy. How do you know it's crazy if you haven't tried it at all? If you haven't taken one step towards, how do you know it's not your two seconds away from the biggest breakthrough of your life? You don't know. You will know if you take a couple steps. Mother Teresa, they asked, how do you think you're going to end world hunger? And she said, I'm going to feed my neighbor. And so for me, it always goes way back down to just very micro to get to macro. I think that you use the same thing with our faith. You know, I mean, it starts with the small stuff and then it leads into, you know, uh, one of the things that has always been really funny for me as a pastor is asking people, you know, what's going on with these dreams you've been telling me about and everything. And uh, they'll always say, well, you know, I kind of got into that and it didn't really blow up like I thought it was going to. So I just really feel like the Lord's doing this other thing. And, you know, the truth is, is that those who are faithful over a few will be made rulers over much. If, you know, it's them that humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, humble themselves under the mighty hand of God that will be exalted. And that's one of the only like real two plus two equal four type things in scripture. It's pretty cut and dry. And I've just found that if I can take even just a small step, even if I'm so scared or petrified and to provide a little bit more context, I guess, you know, we were homeless at the time when I was getting done with high school. We'd had a landlord of ours really put us in a terrible situation. We actually didn't do anything wrong. It was, they didn't really know how to rent a house out. They thought it was just going to, you know, and this is 2008, whenever a lot of other stuff was going on with housing. And uh, so we were homeless. I was living in that terrible car that I was talking about. And even though I was so afraid that my family was already doing bad, it could go worse. I knew that there was really only a small level of impact I was going to be able to make to better their life if I stayed where I was. I wasn't making a lot of money at the grocery store, you know what I mean? And I saw something that seemed like hope, so I just went for it. And so I would say that, again, you know, if you're kind of on the edge, do I take this big step? It's probably not as big as you think it is, and you don't know until you take, like, a small step. So here's a question for you as I'm listening to you. As you're taking those small steps, and you said before, this is what triggered it, like, when people get adversity, they go, oh, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe this wasn't God's will. Mm-hmm. So how have you determined, as you're taking those steps, whether something you're doing is not the direction you're supposed to go in, or this is adversity that you need to keep stepping into and walk through as God is preparing you 
to be able to accomplish what is ahead. Does that make sense? Absolutely. How do you kind of discern those? A couple things. One, uh, one of my favorite scriptures in Corinthians, Paul said, it's my desire that I may come to you and join you, but a great and effective door has been made open to me and there are many adversaries. So I think that if you look and you view leadership as not a platform that takes you away from responsibilities, but you actually view it from much more of a kingdom mindset where leadership actually means servanthood. And so if I'm going to be a leader, then I'm actually a servant. So if Jesus stood up in front of, you know, his multitude of people, all mighty, all powerful, and he lowered himself to the place of a servant, took off his outer robe, washed people's feet. Leadership for me is washing feet. Leadership for me is being the greatest servant. So I don't ever view a call that I'm feeling from the Holy Spirit or a direction that I'm feeling led into as this means it's going to be easy. I always view it as much more I've been given a responsibility to go help Mm -hmm. people. And so because of that, I don't really view this. I know it's going to be hard. I know it before it even begins. Like if there's an effective door open, there's going to be some sort of adversary there. And I should just know that like I have victory against adversaries. And so that would be the big thing. I think the other part of it is, is did he say anything else? You know, if you felt 100%, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm supposed to do. Well, okay, why do you get to decide when that's not true anymore? If you were being led into this, are you still being led by peace and by joy and by presence? Well, then stay, even if it's hard, because you don't know how deep you're going with your root. Um, Somebody told me this, I think it was Billy Epperhart, and um, he asked me, you know, when you take a seed and you put it in soil, what purpose does the soil provide? And, you know, everybody gives you like the, I don't, you know, (laughs) like it's it's a trick question kind of. He comes back and he says, well, it provides nutrients, it provides shelter, but its number one responsibility is to provide resistance so that the roots are forced to grow. So I view resistance as a good thing. Hmm. And if I don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, if I don't feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing, then that's a whole nother ballgame. If the passion leaves completely, if the drive isn't there, if I feel like, you know, it's just not it anymore, that's one thing. But if you're just tired or whatever, take a break, don't quit. Man, that's great advice, isn't it, Steve? It is. There's been many times where we've been, you know, you get to that place of adversity, and I love what you said, Justin, is, you know what, maybe go back and revisit what is the reason you started in this direction in the first place. come on, man, yeah. Right? Is, you know, all of a sudden it's like climbing a a 14er out here in Colorado. You know, there's parts of some of these climbs, man, they're hard, they're steep, the terrain's not good, it's cold, the wind is blowing, but, you know, you need to get to the peak. And I see a lot of people, they get to adversity, and it's almost like we use that as an excuse. Well, maybe this wasn't God's will. Yeah. Maybe the adversity is exactly, I think some of the times in my own personal life, and I know you, Steve, mm-hmm. right, where we've probably had the, either the most growth, changed our relationship with God, uh, the relationship around people with us, developed skills that looking back is exactly what I needed, or a story I told recently, right, just going through depression and being able to share that with people. Yeah. And now I talk about it in the leadership training I do in organizations. Come on. And I've been able to serve people in a way that were, uh, I remember two guys uh, in the last few months that were suicidal. And because of me talking about it and just being, going through that, right? I think uh, God doesn't want us to pray. I think of Paul and Silas. Remember, they were in the town. Yep. Uh, I can't remember the name of the town. And there's the, uh, the, the fortune teller that's following around, and she keeps, you know, shouting at them. These are the messengers of God. And they got annoyed with her, and they're like, you know, spirit, be gone, right? Yeah. And the spirit's gone, and all of a sudden, these got caned. They got caned. They got beaten, and they're shackled in a Roman prison. And God breaks open the whole prison. All the pillars fall. They get unshackled. And their first thought is to yell to the guard and say, don't worry, we're still here. Because mm-hmm. they knew that his first concern was if yeah, they had man. escaped, he'd be dead. Yep. And they stayed there. So they, in this horrible place, they did not pray for the adversity to be removed from them or taken away. In that place, they prayed and sang and worshiped about how do I serve God right where I'm at in this adversity. And it was through that that you know, they liberated that whole community. I think you're touching on something that is really, really a pulse for uh, someone my age. Mm-hmm. So I'm 29, you know, uh, but I've been in ministry since I was 19. So I've always been the young pastor in the room. I've always been the younger guy 
uh, around people that were 30 years older than me. My mentor is 75. So, you know, I've always tried to surround myself with a lot of wisdom with, um, you know, folks that are, you know, and one of the things that I hear constantly right now is about millennials and how millennials don't want to go to church. Millennials don't want to do this. Millennials don't want to do that. No, the, the truth of the matter is, is millennials don't want to go anywhere where they're not heard. We're not going to be the same where we can just sit down and listen to everything that's being said and not at least want to talk about it. It's the whole concept of how much more intelligent are you because you have a cell phone in your hand. Well, our generation is like, you know, sit down, shut up, spit out your gum and do what you're told. And we're like, okay. Totally. And, and see, and see I, 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 actually, I actually understand that some of the value in, hey, look, we don't have time to talk about it. This is what you have to do. And so the stoicism, the side of that that is so direct in the sense of we have a job to get done, we have an assignment, and we don't have time to sit around and talk about everybody how everybody feels. I get that. I think that that is... 100% there's a place for that. However, if we look at the opioid addiction in America, if we start looking at the fact of the matter is, is that church is a place that we will say, bring your burdens here. Um, this is a place where the Lord wants to touch you and we want to bring peace and we want to bring hope and we want to symbolize that. We want to be the light that's not put under the basket, the salt of the earth and all that. But at the end of the day, even though we say bring your burdens here, we don't mean it. It's not true. I mean, there's just the case of I've pastored for a really long time. When the person is depressed in church and they're always sad, they get turned into that's the sad guy or that's the this guy or whatever. And we really, I feel, have kind of segregated a lot of things, mainly because we don't want to actually be apostolic in nature. So rather than saying we are divinely inspired, we have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, we are going to go create the most amazing music you have ever heard, and it's not going to be in a subcategory of Christian music. It's going to be music, period, and it's going to be inspired. It's going to have something that just people want to know. What is that? What is that extra oomph that's there? And instead of that, we have Christian music where we have a box around what we can say, what we can't say, and how we have to operate. And we do the same thing in a lot of different arenas. This is the Christian version of this. My issue is, is if we were apostolic in nature, the truth does not need to be defended. Truth speaks for itself. The kingdom is not fragile. And one of the points of what Steve is bringing up with how we run services and everything, you know, it's kind, it's pretty foolish to say that the kingdom is inside the church. It's just not true. I mean, all the church is in the kingdom, not all the kingdom is in the church. So what other expressions are there? I mean, even in the Old Testament, if you go and you look at all the different callings and things that people had on the people in those stories— there were musicians, there were artists, artists there were all these different people, craftsmen that yeah. did all these different things. And in the New Testament, it is the most holy is the person that preaches from the stage. And anybody that has actually been in ministry will tell you that's 5% of the job to stand up and be able to preach or whatever. So the thing that I would say to everybody that's involved in any kind of trade, business person or whatever, is what does your kingdom expression look like? What are you supposed to be doing? And... um when I started the company, the Space Together, the company that we have, um, I got so much backlash from a lot of people. You know, if you go into the secular world, you won't want to do ministry anymore. If you, you're not going to have time for your church, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to do that. And I felt all of that. I've done, I've poured my entire adult life into this little church. This is all that I have to show from 19 to 29. This, this is, you're looking at it. This is all I've done. You know what I mean? And so you feel that. You feel the, the pressure of, am I going to lose momentum and all of those kinds of things? And I went into this kind of... Where do you think that backlash came from? What was the, the reason behind the reason there? You know, it's really, really tough to say, and you don't want to speak... Assign yeah, motives to people. You don't. How about in general? Because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, it's interesting as I talk to a lot of people that are Christians, right? Everything that we do, especially a lot of my executive coaching clients, struggle sometimes with, you know, setting a goal. You want to start a company. You want to move in this direction. Your mentor is telling you you have entrepreneurial skills. You need to probably talk about this, right? You know, he really encouraged you, to, you and your wife to go to business school. You did that. What I found was, is a lot of people are sitting there writing down their goals, but they're looking through the lens. They really haven't grown into a mature identity and a mature relationship with Christ. So the voice that they're listening to is the world, 
right? What is acceptable? What are the norms? And I remember working with a client of mine and they're writing some goals down and they were really struggling with writing stuff down. And I work with my, what you would call like a secular client of mine, man, they just start ripping stuff out. And as he's struggling, I asked him a question. I said, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the judgmental voices of maybe the guys in your Bible study? Because they don't think it's the right goal that you want to have this kind of income or employ these many people or, you know, have these things in your life, right? And, you know, are you thinking of the voice of your pastor, you know, your wife's voice? Are you looking at all the expectations that the world has put on you, all the things that you think you should do versus God's voice in all this? And once he separated those two and realized the thing that was completely, this filter that was completely stopping him because he was in a place of just some real burnout and disconnectedness and discontent, man, that was like a pivot point for him when he really started to seek, okay, if this desires on my heart to start a business, right, like what you did, what, what, you know, maybe acknowledge the fact that maybe God put that desire there, right? You know, does that make sense? Absolutely, man. There's a lot of things I could say. I'm trying to be very careful, you know. <laughs> I'm not good at filtered. Steve will tell you I'm not good at filtered, but I want to be honoring everything. But a uh, very successful business person, um, very, very successful pastor, he sat down with me one time, and, you know, we're talking hundreds of millions, you know, lots of money, and had a church that did, you know, $7 million in revenue a year, really big, had all kinds of really cool claims. And he sat down with me and he said, I'm going to tell you something, Justin, you need to understand this. The easiest thing to do is to go get a job. You go get a job and you work really hard and you can make a lot of money working a job, especially if you're good at it, you know. So the second hardest thing is to go and start a business because then it either makes or break, you get money if it's successful, you don't. So, you know, risk reward, all that. And he said, but the hardest thing to do is to start a church. And he said, you're always going to be limited by political fallout at all times. So my church is not very big, not very big at all. And even in this season of me growing and doing business, there are some folks in the church that I'm telling you they could not be more proud. For them, it's, you know what, our pastor's actually putting his money where his mouth is. He's telling us to go dream big and go after the things you feel God's called to, and he's doing it. We know. We're watching him. We see. We're not just seeing the pastor with a smile on his face. We're seeing, like, this dude's working a lot. Like, he's tired, you know, and you could see the grind, and you could see all of those things. We know that if he comes in and he asks me, hey, can you come and, and serve this week He's not asking that, you know, while he's had all week going and having lunch and hanging out with people, he's been at work too. You know, he had to get up at eight o'clock Monday morning the same way everybody else did and go to work. And I think that there's one side of that that is like, love, that's awesome, man, that's amazing. And then there's another side of it that says, if he's successful, I have to do it too. I lose my excuse if that guy does it. And so I think that there's an aspect of that. There's also very much the aspect of, you know, Poverty is holy, you know, and as much as we don't want to actually say that, I can't tell you in my um, coaching sessions, in my counseling sessions, since I've kind of gotten all this stuff going, one of the number one things that I have to fight against is who do you think you are? Why do you think you're Mr. Big Shot? Why do you think that you, what in the world makes you think where you're from and what you've done. You're a pastor of a small church. What makes you think you can go and do any of this stuff? You're delusional. You are a delusional kid. Where does all that come from? That all came from stuff people said to me Hmm. through the years. You know, hey, we're happy that you're seeing some success, but just remember, you need to be really, really down here. And I think that is a huge issue when you go in and you say, what are you believing for? What are your goals? What do you actually want to have happen? You know, it's hard for us believers to spit that out sometimes because we feel like we're being arrogant or, you know, we're whatever the justification for it is. And we had a meeting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was sometime, what was it, probably September, August, yeah. where we had a big team meeting. And big team meeting is basically not only staff, but also kind of the elders, deacons, people that are, you know, just have invested ourselves in this small community. And... So anyway, Justin kind of had everyone kind of go around, hey, what do you want to see happen before the end of the year? What do you want yeah. to see? And everyone, 
Every single person went through and they said what they were believing in. And for Justin, it was what? to th- I wanted to double our user base with Space Together. It was nuts, man. I mean, and I sold it. You know, I told everybody, like, go for it. Just throw something out there. So people were believing for their dream cars. People were believing for raises. People were believing for A contracts. Big contract like Contracts me. they've been working on for years. Which you ended up getting. Uh, yeah, which I ended up, yeah. Well, the thing is, is there was 30 people in the room and every single person in the room, the, the dream cars, $30,000 raises, promotions, inheritances that have been locked up. We doubled our user base in one month with Space Together, which that was like way more than anything we'd ever done. A uh, guy had been believing to get a van for his carpet cleaning business for however long that happened. Um, Another, just a crazy story just about just tra- trading a trailer stuff, for a van. Yeah. All kinds of different things, you know, just sort of happened. And I think that, you know, you have to have a culture that actually celebrates like achieving goals. But that's really scary to do in some churches. And we all did it, every single one, within a month. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Blinkist is a book summary description that has more than 2,500 titles in their archives. They distill the key thoughts and points into easily digestible 15-minute reads. I just recently read Abundance by Peter Diamandis and was so blown away that I got the book from my local public library and read the entire thing. Others, like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, I was quite fine with the Blinkist version. Read in their beautifully designed mobile app at their website, export to your Kindle, or listen to the audio version on the go. I prefer to listen while I read along right before I go to sleep. I fell in love with this service last year and turned John onto them in December. You as a listener, have our word that any products or services that John or I advertise on this show, we personally use and are not just fans, but raving fans. Blinkist is definitely in that category. So try it with a seven-day free trial. And if you use our affiliate link that's embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, it's an easy way for you to help support all the work that Sandra, John, Daisy, Fidias, and myself put into keeping this show going. So please, if saving hours and hours by reading a well-written summary of some of the top books out there sounds like something you'd want to try for seven days, click on that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. The next team meeting, next big team meeting, first Saturday of the month, everyone had a story about, hey, we got it. We got it. And it was just crazy. And some of it we heard during the month, like when Mike got his van, we heard about that right when that happened. And uh, So what was going through your head as you're hearing all these stories, you two? I think for me, it's really the thing of like, what can't you do? What limit have we really put on this thing? You know, and somebody asked me yesterday, how do you start momentum? And I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea how momentum is started. For me, momentum is something that's felt and fed. I think you said it before. It's all these millions of little, little moments, little decisions, micro steps, right? What you're believing in, the actions that you take, and over time... You know, yeah. that turns into momentum. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is Bill Johnson when he first started at Bethel. A thousand people left the first month he was there. And uh, Stephen De Silva was here and he said that, you know, first 30% of people left, then, you know, 20% of people left, then 10% of people left. And he's just talking about this mass exodus from the church. And Bill Johnson says that he stood up one night and he said that, you know, the auditorium. There wasn't a lot of people in there, you know. And so he has everybody in the church come to the front. So that was like one of those inflections points where you go, either I press through this, yeah. or you know what, I really yeah. made the wrong decision exactly. coming here, right? It's either, either <laughs> I'm about to grow a lot, or I'm not going to do this anymore, you know. And he said that he prayed the prayer, Holy Spirit, come. And um, one person out of around five, 600 people, one person was being touched. One person was being impacted. When he said, Holy Spirit, come, you see, he could see the presence of God touching him. And he said that something inside of him erupted. He said, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable now. And he said, you have to learn to see the oak tree in the acorn. Mm-hmm. And if you can start to see it, if you can start to look at something and kind of cultivating it from that standpoint, you know, I think that you're setting yourself up to go really deep, you know. And what is that, that great saying, you know, um, vision gives your pain a purpose, you know what I mean? I think that, again, going back to, you know, when do you stop? When do you pull out? When do you pull your ripcord? You know, um, at the end of the day, if you lost vision, 
do you still see that thing that whatever it was that captivated you in the beginning, can you still see it? Even if it's faint at times, you know, the clouds roll in, but the mountains haven't moved. You know what I mean? So like, is it still there? Is it still real? Were you just a little further away from it than you thought you were? Just keep walking, you know? And, uh, you know, I think, you know, as I said, kind of towards the beginning, I've kind of fallen in to everything I've done. And I say that to say that I didn't really have this big desire to be a pastor. I didn't want to at all. I saw how mean people were and like, I saw everything that my mentor went through. I got to see everything with both eyes open, like what it was like to plan a church where you're the only guy, you know, I mean, you're making everything happen. You're paying the bills when offerings don't come in. You know, you're leading worship if you have to. You're preaching every Sunday. You're hosting every single small group. You're doing everything you possibly can to build a community and the people in it judge you every Sunday. And that's incredible to me. That is truly incredible. And from a public speaking standpoint, having something new every week I mean, you ask a comedian, you ask any public speaker, that is hard. Some people spend years on one hour of material, and preachers come in and have something new and fresh every week, or they better, or all of a sudden they're, rep- or, uh, what is the word, uh, uh, repetitive, they're stale, they don't have a vision from God anymore, and it's like, this is hard. So I got to see that with both eyes, and I wasn't just real excited to jump on board with that one, but I knew it was what I was supposed to do. And, you know, whenever we started, when we moved into our own building and I started just seeing like at some point in time with as empty as this building is and how much of our budget is going towards it, I have to start thinking about stewardship. I have to start thinking about like, I better figure out some way of sharing this space because this is just a waste of money. Well, not just a waste of money, but it was a significant yeah. increase in the budget for Absolutely. Pulse because yeah. you it were... It octupled. Yeah, it octupled our budget. Octupled. Yeah, when... when when I moved out of my mentor's church space and had to find my own building, it octupled our expenses. Um, we knew that it was going to go up by at least eight times, if not more. And, you know, you start looking around, like, what do you have? You know, I'm not smart enough to figure out another way of getting this done. So what do I have in my hands? And It was kind of like moving from Texas to here to start yeah, college, exactly. right? It's like, well, this is the right thing to do. Your mentor's behind yeah. you. You're praying about it. Like, you know, we're in the building right now. Yeah, exactly. And that, again, goes back to that micro to macro thing. You know, mm-hmm. my spiritual dad, my mentor, you know, whenever we first started working with him, he said, you're going to have to give me $300 a month to use the auditorium, and you have to get your own sound system. So to put everything in perspective, there's maybe 20-year-olds in this group. We don't have $300 a month to give, to, and we definitely – do not have the type of, I don't think we took offerings. And I'm certain that of that group of 20, 40% of them were definitely there because we provided pizza every week. So like, (laughs) there's no way we're bringing in $300 a month. There's absolutely no way we're buying a sound system. So what we did is we started just telling people, hey, if you really like this place and you want to keep going and uh, you want to keep having pizza on your way out, if you want to give, there's a box. And that's how we did offerings back then. And then a guy walks into our auditorium that we had in my mentor's building. He walks in and bursts into tears. So I'm standing there looking at him like, what is going on? And another guy who was running sound for us at the time, uh, he just thought we were cool, so he was doing that for us. He was showing the guy our little auditorium and telling him about us and everything. The only thing we had was like a 1982 amplified-powered soundboard that my mentor gave us because, you know, he wanted us to have a – good start, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? And so we had that one soundboard and this guy walks in and he had $40,000 of uh, sound equipment collecting dust in a garage in Austin, Texas. And if you look in our auditorium right now, it's still, I mean, these subs, this is it right here that I'm these subs, at? I mean, and there's a lot more, these wedge monitors, all the, everything, he had everything. And he was just like, yeah, you guys can have it. So, I mean, like, you know, that was a micro thing though, that I didn't really have another option so I just kind of stepped into it. And so if you said, no, we can't afford that. This I can't is getting this. too hard. Yeah, exactly. God would have never been able to bless you yeah. as you guys just kept pressing forward into the resistance. Yeah. And so it was the same thing. You know, uh, my mentor is always going to be the way that he is. So two weeks after I get done going to business school, which almost killed us. I mean, 30 hours a week, I'm coaching football. I'm still pastoring a church, which... There's really not a time limit or an hour limit on pastoring. Your dad, Abe, husband. Yeah, yeah. I have a son. uh, I have a wife. I mean, all those different things. And 
coaching his football teams and doing all this stuff. I mean, I was I was hurting. It was hard. And we get done, and I'm thinking, man, we got through this whole business school year. I'm going to take a break. And two weeks later, my mentor calls me and has an old man meeting. I call an old man meeting any meeting that starts before 7 a.m. And so we're sitting down. <laughs> we're having an old man meeting. I'm trying to get the crust out of my eyes and look at him, and he just really excited says, I have a plan for you. That's never good, like, when he says, I have a plan of any kind, especially for me. And he says, you need to get out. You need to find your own building. You have three months. And so, again, way, 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 I mean, we had never brought in enough money to pay one rent payment in the history of our organization. So there's no way. I mean, there was no way we were going to be able to do this. Rent payment for the space we're currently at. Yeah, absolutely. We'd never had a month to that time after seven years where we had enough giving or revenue from giving that we would even be able to pay for one month, you know. So – start trying to call these realtors and stuff and they're just laughing at me. I mean, like, yeah, it's not going to happen, kid. You're parking at the wrong tree. And so I'm trying to find any online platform where we can, you know, jump in and share a space or whatever. And I'm not having any traction with that either. We were fortunate enough. We met a lady that had this facility and absolutely incredible woman. I mean, she's an original. That is for sure, you know. Um, she is. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's incredible. And she had started this as an outreach, church building, all this stuff. And she had about six months into it, she had a traumatic brain injury, took her out for about two years. So her husband was trying to run everything. You know, she's the worship leader. She's the preacher. She's all this stuff. She has a traumatic brain injury. Her husband's trying to run it without her, so they're not gaining traction. She gets better from her traumatic brain injury. Her husband gets cancer. So then she's trying to run it on her own now, and they just didn't get a full head of steam, you know. And uh, so they were locked into a personally guaranteed escalating lease. Mm -hmm. So they were going into the last couple years of a very large payment with nobody coming to church, no revenue come in. And we just saw, like, we need a building, and they definitely need out of this building. And so we negotiate a new lease with the landlord. We get in. We do everything we can. The whole church comes together. We remodel the whole thing. We paint everything. We make it all pretty. And then started looking around and realized I am literally never here. Never. I mean, 60 hours a week, maybe, on like a really busy week. We're never here. And on top of that, we have this enormous lease payment to pay. So you got to get creative again because I'm in it, you know. Uh, I can't quit. I just signed a very, very expensive lease. So what do you do? You know what I mean? And I think that's where having those micro experiences of being so in over your head, because at that point in time, we needed probably around $5,000 to run a month. And so that's no salaries. That's no giving. That's just paying our bills, paying our rent right around five grand. Well, the five grand when you don't have it feels the exact same as 300 when you don't have it. You know, and because I learned in that time that things can happen even when it looks like it's impossible, I felt the same way about this. You know, and so then obviously we, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to do this. And so we just thought there's got to be people out there that were like us that just needed a facility, you know, one time a week, two times a week, whatever. Um, So we opened up our facility on Craigslist and said, hey, if you're a startup pastor, uh, you're a small business, you need a place to meet or a place to get started, you can come rent our facility. And in three months, we had 65% of our overhead covered by people using our facility we weren't here. So in one quarter, we reduced our overhead by 65% using a resource that we had. So, hey, you can come in and use our equipment. You can use our chairs. You can use all these things. Just take care of the building. And if you do that, we're going to be good. You're going to get started. You're not going to have to go through all the pain that I just went through and, you know, help me lower, lower my overhead. But after seeing that, it wasn't so much that I just had this desire to start a company. As much as I was frustrated that something like this didn't exist, I started thinking of all the people in my family that are geniuses, but because of their background or because of whatever, they're never going to be able to get a building like this. They're probably not going to be able to get a high-level job, but they're geniuses, and they have amazing ideas, And but they're not going to qualify for a $100,000 loan either, but they can go to Space Together and get a start in a facility. So that's the name of your company, SpaceTogether.com. And that was really the thing. So I go to one of my friend's. He had a great job making all kinds of money. And I said, hey, do you want to quit everything and go do this crazy thing? (laughs) And he said, well, let me look at it. I'm sure somebody else is already doing it. Uh, He comes back to me a week later and says, man, I can't find anything like this. Let's give it a shot. 
And you described it to me as like Airbnb for commercial space. Yeah, right? yeah, pretty similar. So basically, um, if you have a business facility of any kind, whether you lease or own it, let's say you have a church and you have like three services a week. Uh, well, what we do is we allow you to go on our platform and post the availability of your space when you're not there, uh, the sections of your space that you want it to be used. And entrepreneurs and pioneers from all over the place, all over the country, can view your space and make an offer to rent your space on anywhere from you know one day, one week, one month, one year, 18 months, however long it is, and come in and reduce your overhead while they also get a start at a fraction of the cost. So that was the premise of it, and it really was just born out of man, like this was, we lowered our overhead quickly. There's a demand for this. And then we started doing a user test and we started asking um, people that had fitness facilities. So MMA gyms, boxing gyms, any place that had this kind of dead time in their facility, commercial kitchens, charter schools. And when we began to speak to these people, they all had the same frustration. We want to share our space. It's just sitting here. We're paying for it and we can't use it. We have no idea of how to do that. And so, um, that was the initial part. That was how we kind of got started in the beginning. My co-founder, Brett Farrow, uh, quit his job where he was very, very secure. He had tripled the revenues of his previous company uh, since he started there. So he was happy where he was at, but he saw the same thing. He saw um, all the small business owners that we know and love that saw companies fail because overheads went up and the market got higher and just all these things that happened to these small businesses. And there's really nothing they can do to kind of fight back. You know, how do you figure out a alternative revenue stream whenever you're pretty focused on making sure that your main revenue stream stays alive, you know? And, um, so we saw some traction with that. Um, we got started, uh, we raised about $45,000 in friends and family investment, built out our MVP. We got our initial... When you say that, that's minimum viable product, yes, right? I'm what sorry. is the yeah, yeah, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, it was the bare bones. Nobody should be proud of what we came out with at the end of it. Uh, but it basically kind of worked, you know? And so it was good enough for people to put space on the platform. Um, at that time, we were probably... This is around early May, late April of last year of 2018, um, we had right around about 600 users and about 70,000 square feet of commercial real estate through different industries on the platform. Um, since that time, we raised an additional $602,000 uh, in our first seed round, hired some amazing talent. Um, and since that time, from May of last year to now, we've gone to over 3,000 users and well over 300,000 square feet on the platform um, around across 22 states. So definitely growing and scaling in different industries that we're kind of working into hired some great people to kind of pick it up and move it and you know and I say all that to really say that this was without question the most frightening terrifying thing that I had really done to this point you know and but all that to say you know after the first year when we had raised that $45,000 that doesn't last very long when you're building you know tech and you're trying to do everything you can I mean you can forget about any sort of salary or any of that kind of stuff and um you know, I think that all of the micro choices, like we've been talking, all the small steps, like I knew that if I went into ministry, I was not going to make any money for a long time, you know, because we were pioneering. We weren't in an established place. We knew we weren't going to get paid. So was the work worth working for free? Is money what motivates me to do what I need to do? That was a lesson that I learned. So when I started the company, it was like, well, you're not going to get paid for maybe ever. It's a no-brainer. Does this exist? Even though I'm going to actually take a financial hit, is it worth it? And it totally was. And I think that's usually a pretty good metric. Would you do this for free? And um, there's some things that I would not do for free. There's some things that I really would. And so whenever we got to that place of, you know, we raised that $45,000, friends and family, that year went by, we're out of money. We knew that raising a little bit of money, raising $25,000, raising $50,000 was not going to cut it we were going to have to raise significant investment. Well, I've never raised half a million dollars. I've never even had an offering in a church that paid the rent. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not the best at doing this, you know. And we did. The Lord came through, and we met people, and things happened. And um, since that time, you know, now to run uh, my company, we need right around $40,000 every month to just run the company, you know what I mean? To keep everything going and scaling. And I can honestly say it feels the exact same as the $300 the first time 
I had to pay my spiritual dad to use this facility. Or, you know, whenever I'm looking, to, we have to, we're, we're going into the, our next financial raise. So we're looking to raise about 1.2 to $2 million. That feels the exact same as when I needed a sound system and it was not going to happen. It was nowhere to be found or when I needed a building that we couldn't afford. And I didn't know what am I going to do with it? Even if we get into it, there's been all these different times where you're put in a position of if you sink, okay, you really, really tried. It's kind of like, you know, when I was growing up, if a kid was like the biggest, baddest, fought everybody or whatever, I had no issue fighting those guys. Not because I thought I was going to win, but because even if you lose, what is anybody else going to say to you? You go fight that guy. You go take a swing. See what happens. You know what I mean? And if you beat him, all the better, but at least I tried. You know what I mean? And I think that um, a lot of the things that we do business kingdom all the different stuff i think that we could probably get better at trying and i can't say that anything that i've done i can go back to my own merit in any capacity i was definitely not a very good speaker at all in the beginning you know it was bad you know i can't even say that i've been a really successful pastor my church is still very small i've been doing this for 10 years but there's still this momentum you still feel this. It's the same thing it's always been for me. What are you doing? Well, you know what I love that, you know, I hope people really take, because actually and we're sitting in your auditorium and there's actually a pretty good number of chairs in here. So you've definitely made some drives forward. But you know what? You're, what I love about it is, you know, you're not the guru. You're not the expert coming in saying, I did it. Let me show you how. You're like right in the messy middle of everything, continuing to build a church, be a husband, right? Uh, Raise your son, coach football. I and just had another baby November 1st. Oh, all Dallas right. Robert Knapp. Just wanted right. to give him Two a boys. shout out. Dallas, Two boys. Yeah, right? Dallas Robert. Yeah. Um, and you're going to raise him to be a Packers fan, yeah, right, Steve? Are you going to have a good influence yeah, on him? Hey, man. Heck I'm, yeah, baby. I am, I am 2 0 at Lambeau Stadium. I have never been there when the Packers have won. So. <laughs> but, but Abe is a Packers fan. He is, kind of. <laughs> So here's something to share with people. You know, I want you to hear it, right? I mean, you're making decisions. And this is really the, you know, the entrepreneur in you, right? But you need to raise money to get to the next level, right? You need to make 40000 of income. Like some price a month, just like our companies, you know, Steve and I, like, where's that going to come from? Yeah, like our overhead, right? I got to tell you, having stepped into a place of just really trusting God's plan, uh, I haven't stressed over those things. Mm-hmm. Because my thing is, you know what, if we don't meet that goal, well, you know what, all things work together for good. Yeah. Right? There's going to be something yeah. that comes together out of that, but I am going to trust, and I am going to pray, and be in community yeah. like you guys all did with the goals. And so I really hope people out there, you know, if you're right in the middle of something, you're walking through, it's getting hard, there's ambiguity, uh, you're hearing the world's opinions, people's, right, some of that. I had the sense, just hearing you share some of that, that some of that was really challenging, probably for both you and your wife, is you're hearing some of the opinions and thoughts of the world. And I've had that. I think Steve and I, as as things have happened for us, right? People kind of have this negative thing, oh, he's just lucky, or he doesn't have the right motives that he says he does. And i got to tell you, some of that bothers me when I hear that. i got to tell you, because I'm like, man, why is the Christian community so cynical? and negative instead of just being excited for each other Mm -hmm. and supporting each other that's what we need more of Mm -hmm. right Uh, go find people like justin who are you know maybe one or two steps ahead of you go find people like your like your spiritual father who's now 75 who've actually been there done that and they're definitely in kind of that expert guru class Mm -hmm. i think we need all those kind of different people in our life i agree yeah yeah i think um there's a guy uh, named Tony Fitzgerald. He's from Tasmania. Um, other than Miles Monroe, without question, best teaching on the kingdom of God I've ever heard. I mean, his teaching on the kingdom is, other than Miles Monroe, second to none. But his teaching on the Father heart of God is, bar none, the best I've ever heard in my life. And, and who he, is it again? Tony Fitzgerald. Tony um, Fitzgerald. He's out of Tasmania. He's not anymore. Now he's out of Virginia or Maryland, but... He was, he's from Tasmania. And I remember I listened to him one time, and this was a really pivotal time for me. Pulse was, my church Pulse uh, was actually doing really well. It was, it was gaining a lot of traction, um, but it was much more as like a kind of a miracle service, you know, and it was uh, kind of the thing that people come to to just have an encounter and then they would leave, you know, which is fine. And that's, that's what it was. But I started having to kind of really think like, what type of impact am I really having? And so it was a very pivotal time for me as a leader. 
And I was sitting in a conference with him, and it wasn't a lot of people. And he said, imagine this story of Jesus being 12 years old. And he goes to the synagogue, and he's confounding the religious minds of the day. Like, really paint that picture. Really think about if a 10-year-old today could out-preach the best preachers that are existing, 50-, 60-year-old people that have given their life to the gospel, and this 10-year-old comes in and not only has more wisdom and understanding, but is a better communicator. All points. We would put that kid on the cover of Charisma magazine. He would have this enormous following. He would be across every billboard because he is a Christian sensation. You know what I mean? What happened to that kid was he submitted to the authority of God on the earth for him, which was his mom. You know, hey, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. We haven't known where you were for three days. I'm about my father's business. And that, so we say that all the time. That sounds really funny. But then it says, and then he left and departed with them. Later on, you know, Jesus' first miracle turns water into wine at the wedding. My favorite part of this is that his mom comes up and says, he's going to take care of this. Jesus didn't say that. Mary came up and said, he's going to take care of this. After Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time. I don't want to do this. Whoa, I don't want to do this. And he just, mom looks and says, he's going to take care of this. This is my thing. Okay? Boy. <laughs> think, but really think about this. So they run out of wine at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Immediately, Mary goes, Jesus can do this. How did she know that? Because he'd been doing that at the house all these years. He had been turning water into wine. He'd been doing all these things behind the scenes for all of these years because that's where he was actually supposed to be. And I say this a lot. One of my mentors, his name is Jamie Englehart, amazing guy. And he says that, it, you know, he travels and has a network of churches and stuff. And he says it breaks his heart every time he goes to a small little church in the middle of nowhere and the pastor just feels like a total failure. Or he goes into these businesses and the business is just eking along and he, they feel like a total failure. And he said, like, you know, it's, that's not true. You know what I mean? If you haven't given up hope, if you haven't given up your vision, you have not failed. And so no matter what it is, no matter how anointed you feel on the inside, don't lose that. Don't lose the confidence that you can go and do something. Even if all the chips are down, if everything's failing, nothing's working, all that, whatever's going on, if you can be the person that will at least say, I'm going to keep trying. You know, when you've done all that you can to stand, stand. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just that. You don't know why everything's not working or why everything's failing or why everything seems so stressful or all those kinds of things. And um, you just sometimes you just have to stand. And I'll say this to kind of speak to the point that we were saying a second ago. Go to your community. Even if you feel like, man, they're going to tear my head off. If they do, you probably need a new community. Mm-hmm. But go to your community, whatever that is. And if you don't have a community, find one. Figure out some way. And when I say community, I'm not meaning church. I love the church community model, your tribe, obviously. Your, folks, your people, yeah, your whoever it is, yeah. man. The the group of guys you go have cigars with on Wednesdays, or you know, whatever it is. You know, that's a rough bunch. Go to your group, go to your tribe, and actually tell them how you feel. You know, um, just this past Monday, I had big time, big time. Not yesterday, the Monday before. I had big time. Big time, overwhelming, almost debilitating feeling anxiety of you're going to fail, man. You're going to blow it. You're, this isn't going to work. The you know it's happened before, but this time it's not going to. And you know every you're you're so out in front of everybody of everything you've put yourself out there for. Think about what that's going to be like when everybody knows that you failed. You'll be such a failure. All these other things. And man, I'm telling you, it wore me out. And I know, I know from all these years of doing this, that's not true. It's my head playing games on me. It's me being, you know, with my head underwater for too long and, you know, all those kinds of things, feeling overwhelmed. But, you know, the first thing I did is the Saturday when I got up, I told everybody. Yeah. The first thing I did when I walked into my my staff meeting with my team is I told everyone, hey, this is what's going on with your CEO right now. And I don't say it in the way of I'm just in despair, but I let everybody know I'm real. If something goes down with me, you're going to know that it was going to happen a long time. There's not Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Like it's If we can't be authentic mm-hmm. in the faith that is supposed to be the most authentic about finding your true created self, then we have strayed across the path somewhere. So I would just say, you know, in those moments of just feeling like you can't swing it, you can't do it or whatever, go to your community and tell them exactly how you feel. And if you're afraid to do that, I would say find another community. 
And it was awesome. So as we wrap up, what's the company website? I know yeah. people are going to want to check it out. Absolutely. So if you're getting started in whatever industry you want to get started in, um, or you're, you've been in an industry and you have some underutilized space, uh, go to spacetogether.com. Uh, super simple process. We can get you set up. And for anybody that's in Colorado Springs or visiting Colorado Springs, what's the? I, uh, I, I would how even do you connect with the church. I, I would Pulse? even say people who are visiting Denver and want to come down on a Saturday night, six to eight p.m. PulseCommunity.co. The yep. service times six o'clock. Yes, uh, PulseCommunity.co. Uh, we have a podcast called Pulse Media. That's how Steve found us. Um, yeah. So thank you guys again so much for having me on this has been awesome appreciate yeah. it thank you well i appreciate everything you've shared it's been amazing just and as we wrap up everybody listening around the world just what's a kind of just a final thought you'd like to leave with everybody yeah um just very recently i had a prophet guy is one of steve's friends his name is dale mass and he walked up to me and he said justin it, it takes faith to kill a giant but it takes identity to rule a nation and so i would just say all those folks out there that are you know you're feeling like there's something that's making your baby jump you know you're being called into greater capacity. I would just say to remember that your identity is victorious and that you can do it and that a few steps in the right direction can make the whole world a difference. So just at least try and then you'll know for yourself. 